Anita is a mom of three. She's a single mom. She goes to the Canada campus, so I know many of you already know her and have heard her speaking, and she's absolutely amazing, and we love her, and I know she just passionately loves Jesus. And so we're going to pray and then just lean into, lean into all this together. God, we thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that, God, you've gifted each one of us with children. Um, and that's a gift. And so, God, I just pray that our hearts would be open to the things that you want to say to us, the burdens you want to lift off of us. God, help us to hear your voice and see clearly through just the day-to-day that's right in front of our eyes as moms so often. The day-to-day challenges, the day-to-day fun, the day-to-day laundry, just, just all the stuff, God. Um, and be able to see you working in this, and to see your greatest mandate on us, and that is to disciple our children, and to lead them in your way. And so we just sit ourselves before you, and we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, well, Anita, take it away. Amen. I am so blessed to be here. Uh, One of the... Like, I don't think any one of us have passed all these sessions without using our tissues. I think I'm one of those people who's probably used everything. So I have been blessed, and I hope uh, this workshop will be even more a blessing to you. The scripture that we are actually going to uh, read today, just the, the presentation doesn't work, so you'll have to listen. Um, the scripture is very, very easy. So if you've been to church, or if you know any Christians, you've heard the scripture. So it's not like... Something big that we are going to teach you, but just simple things that will just help you to just be the mom that God has called you to be. The scripture for you today is Luke 1.37. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's very easy to remember. And I'm sure most of you have heard the scripture. This is the verse that Angel Gabriel told Mother Mary. When he announced that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she will conceive and bear a son who will be the son of the Most High. God actually spoke to me the scripture last year when I was teaching uh, Bible school. And I think for past one year, I've been literally soaking on this word and God has just spoke to me. And I'm just hoping that this will actually speak to you too. That to know that for nothing is impossible with God. So when he says that he will be the son of the most high. The most high God or God most high means El Elyon in Hebrew. El Elyon refers to God, the creator of heaven and earth. That means the angel was saying, Mary, the child that you're going to carry... Is going to, you're going to conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit and is the son of the creator of heaven and earth. If you listen and imagine this scene, it's probably one of the most beautiful events in the Bible because that's when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all come together to announce the birth of a child. And I think I'm sure this is the same thing with our children too. The creator of heaven and earth actually knits the child into our wombs and he breathes into their nostrils. And no wonder they are perfect and wonderful kids. Maybe not perfect all the time, but wonderful kids for sure. 
As the angel announced to Mary, I'm sure Mary was confused when she heard that she was going to conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, she probably sat there and thought, Yo, Gabe, we call him Gabe, not Angel Gabriel. She probably thought, Yo, Gabe, no, I listened to the biology teacher, and this is not how a child is conceived, right? The Bible says that she was troubled and she was trying to discern what was happening. She was absolutely confused. She was not this superhuman who was right away saying, you know, thank you. I'm honored to conceive through the power of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen. She knew it was physically impossible. Her first statement to the angel was, how will this be since I am a virgin? It can't happen. It can happen. And this is when the angel tells Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. I can understand Mary's disbelief. As a mother, I constantly wrestle with God for my children. Sometimes I find it difficult to believe that they could actually get saved. I'm always asking God, can you please, can you please bless my children? I want them to get saved. I want them to know you. I want them to have a relationship with you. Sometimes my prayer could also come from disbelief in my heart. And throughout their lives, as being a single mother, I've fought for their custody situations. And again, sleepless nights with disbelief, not knowing what was going to happen. And as they grew up, it was for their education or their job or who they were going to date. The list just keeps going on. I'm sure I'm not the only mother who struggles with disbelief. I'm sure you have health problems, allergies, epilepsy, right? There are months that you continuously, constantly, you're walking to the emergency for five hours or eight hours every month. We've all been through that. But when we pick the Bible and read, It's easy for us to believe that the angel appeared to Mary. She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Oh, the shepherds, the angels appeared to the shepherds and Mary bore a son. She was a virgin. Jesus healed the blind man, the lepers. All of this is so easy for us to believe. But when it comes to us, we're having this constant struggle and disbelief and we're fighting and wrestling with God. But God is calling you today to say the impossible is possible with God. How many of us need to hear that today? If you're interceding for a miracle in your child's life, no matter what phase of life they are in, I'm believing with you for your children too, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary was a simple, humble human. We really don't know what she did prior to the angel visiting her, right? She was not known in history. There was no prophecies about her. We don't know how she dressed. Details that need to be written in the Bible because they dressed her in blue and white in every school play and every church play. Poor Mary. But they decided to put the John the Baptist dressed in camel's hair and he had a a leather belt. I'm like, little more details. More women needs to write the Bible. Right? 
this person was not even known to anybody. She may have been insignificant in the eyes of the people and even insignificant in her own eyes. She was probably known as that woman who conceived a child before she was married. I don't know. But something that I know and I really like about Mary is when she sang a beautiful song called the Magnificat in the Bible. It's such a beautiful song. She actually magnifies the Lord. She thanks the Lord. She thanks them because she's just a humble person, this insignificant person that no one knows. But God has called her and given her this beautiful child, Jesus. I'm not going to read the first few verses because the Magnificat, the song itself is huge. But I want to actually read verses 50 to 55 in chapter Luke chapter 1, which we probably skip all the time because it's just too many stuff. But I want us to just understand how Mary is too. Why this lady is so different. Why this humble person that God, actually God chose this humble person for a reason. So why did he do that? So if you read in Luke chapter 1, verses 50 to 55, it says, And his mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Might just seem like some ram stuff that she's rambling off. But if you see, she praises God for not only her, but she's praying and praising God for her generations, and for the kingdoms, and for the nation of Israel. That is what she's doing when she's conceiving her child. She's thanking God for her generations already. I remember that when I found out that I was pregnant with my firstborn, I ran to my room and I knelt and prayed before God. I remember just weeping and crying and thanking God. Even before I could go and tell my husband, I ran to my room and I just cried and I thanked God. I said, God, no matter what gift you give me in my future no matter how big it is it could be the biggest miracle god has given me a house he's given me a car he's given me so many other things but the smallest miracle that he's ever given me is the biggest miracle that he could ever give any one of us and that's why we are all mothers we are all proud to be mothers and and you know what we all have this earning this desire because we want to do it right we have this responsibility that God has given us. I always say, I could go bring thousand people or million people to God, but if I mess it up with these three kids, God, please help me do it right. And that is what she was doing. That was, that's what Mary was doing. She was magnifying the Lord, but she was not just leaving it for herself and her child that she gave birth, but she was praying for her nations. Are we willing to dedicate our children for something big like that and believe the impossible and pray for a greater calling upon their lives. Most of us have this thing in our head, especially Indian moms, you know, 
where we want to get them saved, dunk them, and baptize them, make sure they get a university degree, get a nice job, get married, have kids, buy a house, done. <laughs> right? Nothing is wrong with a lot of this. We're, but we're planning their lives in, their, in our heads and seeing them in a small box. And that's all we are praying for. But God is willing to do more. We want to hold on to them. During these three years, I absolutely enjoyed keeping my kids locked in my house. Right? We want to hold on to them as we're afraid that they're going to fail. As a single mother, no, I've heard people say that it's difficult for the children of a single mother to succeed. Statistics show that children of single parents have more chances of becoming high school dropouts, addicts, or have more chances of becoming um, high, um, addicts or have emotional and behavioral health challenges. It doesn't, what, doesn't matter what statistics say. It doesn't what, matter what the people around us say. It is what God is willing to do in our children's lives. And he is calling us for a greater purpose. So let us just, need, we need to learn to release our children in God's hands. Just like Mary's prayer, we need to just, our souls should just magnify the Lord for our children and children's children and nations. Now, some of you are wondering how my son or daughter can be called for nations. They don't even read their Bible. They don't pray. Some of them, don't, they don't go to church with us. Not even sure if they're saved. It doesn't matter what phase of life they are in. God is telling us that nothing is impossible with God. When I became single, my children were nine years, seven years, and eight months baby. My husband had abused me physically and emotionally. When I questioned him about his adulterous life he was living, it didn't matter what time of day he came home. It could be 7 p.m. or 10 p.m. or 2 a.m. He wouldn't come home and go to bed without beating me. I was so filled with fear because I was always bleeding in my arms and had scars all over my body from the abuse. Then when I finally left the marriage house with my children, I was very scared. I'd lost everything in my life. I lost the house that I lived in, my visions, my goals, my money, everything that I owned was gone. But I came out with my three children and I can still feel the uh, tears, the warm tears in my eyes when I had them in my arms and I said, God, I have no hope other than you. My life has not been easy, but he has never forsaken me. My kids have never gone hungry and God has always been with us. And he's brought me here to tell you all things are possible with God. Now my children are grown and my older son wants to do great things. Two are out of university and one is going into college. You know, I, they're good godly children. I'm very grateful. Not perfect, but wonderful children. I'm not saying that I've made it or that I've run my race and I fully succeeded. 
just like you, I kneel every morning and pray to God for my children. And my heart grips every time they fail. I fast for my children three days a week, every week praying and believing for them. Three kids, three days. Six kids, I don't know. Anymore. <laughs> that was not in my notes. <laughs> if you're waiting for a miracle in your family, but believe that God of heaven and earth can not only bless our children, but children's children, and he'll use them to more nations. A scripture that really opened my eyes and helped me understand was a scripture in Exodus. It's when, um, what happened in Exodus, I'm sure Pastor Ingrid also talked about where the people were in the wilderness and they were trying to escape from Pharaoh. They were all walking in there and roaming, didn't know what they were gonna do. But as soon as they had left, uh, Egypt and they were in the wilderness these God's chosen people they were so confused they didn't know what to do and Pharaoh did not if you guys haven't read the Bible Pharaoh's the bad guy <laughs> Pharaoh did not want to let them go so what he does is he comes back to get them he's like how can you guys go you guys are like my servants you need to do all the job that needs to be done in the kingdom so he goes back and he tries to get them and when he does, God tells Moses, and right before they cross the Red Sea, because God opens the water, I'm sure if you've seen Moses' movie, God opens the water, it comes apart, they all walk through. But right before they walk through, in Exodus 14, 4, God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. I was like, what, God? <laughs> and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Our focus, our thoughts are only on the Israelites. These are the God's chosen people, we want them to be saved, but God is like totally in a different direction. I'm like, God, like, come back, come back to the Israelites. No. He wanted the Egyptians to know that he's the Lord. He doesn't even forget the Egyptians. He doesn't forget our enemies. He doesn't forget our ex-husbands, unfortunately. He loves them 100%. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> right? When we were actually reading about the Exodus, we were reading about the Israelites and how they were suffering under the Egyptians. We were all getting so angry at this bad, evil Egyptians. But God was willing to forgive them. This is the God we serve. We're focused on our family, our pain, our suffering. But God is calling us and our children for our nation and other nations so that everyone will know that he is God. Especially during the last few years, the world seems to have changed. 
people who prayed only for their families and their communities are now fasting and praying for God to bring oxygen tanks and beds and hospitals and different parts of the world. As the devil was actually trying to lock us in our houses, God was opening our eyes and our hearts to the people of other nations. He's calling us to think bigger and greater. It's time we got on our knees and prayed for our children's children so they will be a blessing to other nations. When my kids were young, I would just put a huge world map near their bed. That was their scenery. They didn't get any pop stars or anything like that. They got a map. And every day, they would have to choose a country and pray for that country. And they did that every night. And last week, my son actually was moved out and he's gone for university, was saying, Mom, I need to buy a map for my, for my room so I can continue to pray for different countries. My heart rejoiced when I heard that. The little things that we do, the family prayers, the action Bibles, that we read with them, even the veggie tales, that we read with them, or maybe a map so they could pray for nations will never be wasted. Or maybe you never had a chance to pray with your children. God still sees your prayers and your sleepless nights, your tears, and God will use it to bring them closer to him. Another eye-opening scripture for me is in Acts chapter 1. Here we read that the disciples actually, after Jesus died, he rose again and he was walk, walking around the earth for the people. And then right before he's going to leave, he's going to ascend to heaven. And the disciples all gather around him and they get to ask him like they want to see him. I would be like all hugging and Jesus like, don't let me go. But they had one final question for Jesus. If you read in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's not anymore about Israel. Here, bigger ends of the earth. And that is where God is calling us. This is the final question they get to ask. Because again, for them, they were focused on the Israelites. Or they were focused on themselves. If Jesus became king of the kingdom of Israel, what happens to them? They probably get become senates or something great. But again, it's not just the Israelites. God is saying, go to the ends of the earth. He's called, and after Jesus, we're not called for just one nation. He's calling us, our children, and children's children to the ends of the earth. Some of you might be thinking that I have come to this conference and they keep talking, come alive, come alive. <laughs> but you're probably feeling dead to your bones and your body. And then you come to this session and this lady's like, yeah, be witnesses to the ends of the earth. 
You know, you're probably feeling so dead and wondering, how do I do this? But if you read Acts 1.8, in the chapter we were reading recently, Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God is willing to pour his spirit in us today. And that's practically what we're all, we're all coming together. How do we come alive? How does this bone come alive? How do we all come alive? How do we pray for our children? How do we pray that they go and bless nations? How can we actually be a blessing? How do we do all of this? Jesus is saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is something God has been like constantly teaching me too. It's like, it's not the days when we just waited for him to just come and we talk and it's, that's not the relationship. That is not enough. We need the Holy Spirit to come and just dwell in us. Just for him to just be with us and be within us. And that's when we have the strength, we start praying for our children. And not a relationship that is just like an ankle deep or a knee deep or a waist deep, but just to literally immerse ourselves and be anointed with his anointing. We cannot be in dry places anymore. We can, as being mothers, we cannot be in a place where we are never anointed in the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 43 says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest but finds none. He passes through, the devil passes through the waterless places, places where there's no water, where there's no anointing. That's when the devil walks right through into a house. So if we can be just immersed in God, the devil is going to, con- no matter what, he's going to, going to constantly tell us that we're not perfect mothers. And if you're hoping or expecting a seven-point message from me, it's not coming from me. <laughs> it's probably because we are not perfect mothers. The truth is we'll never be perfect mothers. We could be hoping if I'd fasted more, if I'd read my Bible more, or prayed more for my children, The truth is, we need to be just overflowing with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that his glory will be filled in our house. And then the impossible becomes possible through God. When my my children were born, one thing that I did was, uh, as soon as they were born, I actually wrote a letter to God. For each of my children, I've written letters to God and I write the letter. It takes me a couple of days to write it. Again, I don't even know what I've written for them. Hopefully it's for nations. But I used to write letters to God and always put it, like write a letter, start one and say, God bless my kids or bless them to bless nations. I'm not sure what it was, but different phases of their lives. I always write a letter to God and I put it in an envelope and I write letter to God and I put it in my kids' baby books. And I tell them, you know what? You guys can read it at some point of your life because you will see how God has actually answered our prayers. Today, we are going to actually give you an opportunity. I'm sure there's a paper somewhere. They each got paper and an envelope. Yep. 
each of you have a paper and an envelope. If you can actually, we're going to give you five minutes. If you want to, again, it's going to take a while because I remember it took me a couple of days. So if you just want to start a new letter, if you've never written something, again, even if you have written something, we probably prayed to God for something um, small. But today God is saying, you know what? I am willing to do the impossible for your children. So let's ask God. Let's write him a letter and say, God, I dedicate my children to you one more time. And just pour your heart out in this. I'm sure you're not going to get to write it in five minutes. But at least give it a start and write. And then go home and write and just maybe close it. Write letter to God. Seal it. You don't have to share it with your kids now. Put it in. And in many years later, it's theirs because it's something what God's, God has done in their lives. So write the letter, start it, we'll, and Pastor Ingrid will actually come back in another five minutes. And... All righty. I know you probably have more to work on. Don't feel stressed. This is something you can do both once or you can do, some people do this kind of thing, you know, every year for their child's birthday or something like that. And it's a beautiful gift to be able to give them later on. And like Anita said, it, it can show them how God has answered prayers, how God has shown up in their lives, you know, how God knew even what was coming in their lives, you know, who they are. So I encourage you to lean into this. It is a great opportunity. There is more papers here if you need them and envelopes. Feel free to come grab them at the end. All right. So I absolutely love what Anita was leading into there as far as, you know, often we, we want to box our kids into this safe, life that we want to lead them towards you know go to school get the job get the house get the family if you want it but you know lead this safe life and going outside of that can be scary to watch our kids uh do that and so i just absolutely appreciate that she leaned into this and uh, i encourage you to really lean into this as a parent that god knows your kid he loves your child he made your child he has plans for your child and he actually will be speaking to your child as they're growing up, whispering uh, plans and purposes, whispering things, put desires, put gifts in them. So don't be afraid of them exploring that, leaning into it. And so we're going to kind of lean into some more practical things uh, as we lean into the next half hour as far as how to kind of lead your child, how to lean into being a voice in their life ongoing. Not just when they're teeny tiny, because as they get older, sometimes it can be harder to be that voice. And so we're going to lean into how to build that. And I really second that your child is placed on this earth for such a time as this. Don't look around and be dismayed when you're like, oh my gosh, the world is going crazy. You know, why is my kid here? I don't want to have kids, you know. And don't be afraid. You know, I've heard it. I've heard often, even through the COVID time, and even coming out of this, that God knew. He knew your kid would be born now, during this time, during this season. And though it is frightening sometimes to see the world that they're living in, we don't need to be afraid because we rest in a God who is bigger than the circumstances, much like I was talking about this morning. We don't have to be afraid for them. You know, whether they are leaning hard on God now or not, he is available to them if they choose. So don't be afraid of this time. And he has equipped you as a parent for such a time as this, for this season in their lives. So please, 
I really encourage you, if fear is what is leading you as a parent, to figure out with God how to remove that as a leader. Because God needs to be the leader. Okay? God really spoke to me early on in my life. I was holding my little babies. I've got six kids. I've got all the way from 11 all the way up to 27. And I was holding, now my 27-year-old is adopted. We adopted her as an adult. So I was holding my 20-year-old as a little baby and my you know, 18-year-old as little babies. And I was afraid of their teenage years. I'm sitting here fraught with anxiety over their teenage years. They're, they're like so far from this. And I don't know if you guys can identify with this idea of just looking forward in their lives and thinking, what if, what if, what if? You know, so afraid of what's to come, whether it's external, whether it's things in your family that you're like, what, are they, what if they pick up this trait or that trait? What if I do it wrong? What if I mess up? I felt like the Lord spoke to that space and said, you have to hand this over to me. You cannot lead from fear because what does fear breed? Control. What does control breed? Rebellion. They don't, they don't want to be under your control like a child. They want to be led. They'll fight you as you lead them, but they don't want to be controlled. How many of us, does anybody here like being controlled? Neither do our children. We're actually not intended to control them. We're intended to lead and disciple them. So I encourage you, where you see fear trying to lead, go to God with it. Root it out. Root it out. Talk to somebody. Find a way of not allowing that to be the voice that's leading you as a parent. You know, the kid comes to you and is like, can I sleep over at Johnny's house? And you're like, I don't know Johnny. I don't know Johnny's parents. And it's fear that wants to lead. Instead of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit may say, no. But that's not fear leading. And the kid can sense. If it's fear leading, they're like, you know, it either instills fear in them. They don't know why you're afraid. Johnny's a perfectly fine kid to their mind. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be leading us, not fear. Because we want our kids to walk boldly into their futures, don't we? We don't want them afraid and anxious and fraught with, with, you know, cowering in the corner over what could be. We want to teach them to walk boldly hand in hand with God, trusting in Him. That if He's telling them to go somewhere, that is, is scary, he's with them. God never said it wouldn't be scary. He never said it would be perfectly safe. He never said you'd never get hurt. We have to remember this for our kids too. That we have to lead them to rely on God, not to lead a safe life. We have to lead them to rely on God, not just lead a safe life. So we have to live that for them to live that. So I have here... Some things that I have discovered over my years of parenting, over 10 years of daycaring, multiple children, you know, over my years of being in children's ministry, I have seen that kids go through phases at the same time, almost, I know there's anomalies, but generally speaking, all the time. Like, if you, if you watch... All my six kids have gone through all the same phases at around the same time. Looks different. It looks different. And I remember about four kids in going, what? It's the same. It's a different output, same problem. Same thing going on. And so I want to encourage you, whether you have one or five or six, 
Probably those of you who have four or more could be like, yeah, I've seen it. Because you start to see these patterns in their lives. Deep roots of insecurity at certain times of their life. Deep roots of needing to control or being independent at certain times of their life. And it comes out in a different way. Some kids shy away. Some kids throw tantrums. That Some kids tell you every day they hate you. It's, it's different what it looks like. But the thing with, with understanding this, it lifts off. I'm failing as a parent because my kid just told me I hate, he hates me. How many have encountered a moment where their kid has been like, I don't like you. And you're like, what have I just done? I have somehow instilled something awful into this kid that they could tell the parent that's leading them that they hate them. No. Most of the time, they're just being a kid who doesn't like what you're telling them. Truly. They just don't want to do what you're telling them to do, and they're super mad at you for it. And so knowing what kind of phase your kid is in will actually help you understand how to lead them. Even in the hardest phases, there are opportunities to leverage. It's, it's an, a moment to teach. It's a moment to teach discipline and self-discipline, to teach not to just be like, ah, I feel horrible and everybody else has to pay for it. It's a moment to say, okay, I understand you feel this way, but you can't make everybody in the family also feel it too. That you can work it through in a healthy way and not drag everybody down this road. You know, and so there are moments in the good, in the hard, in the ugly, in the failures where you get to leverage these times in their life and teach them godly ways to live. Godly ways to deal with anger. Godly ways to deal with disappointment and insecurity. Godly ways to deal with strong urges to do things that they know they shouldn't do. Godly ways to deal with shame and fear. Don't we want that for our kids, that they would run to Jesus in everything? But I'm telling you, every phase comes with an opportunity to say, oh, this? You get to bring this to Jesus, and this is how we get to walk it out. So I encourage you. If you have a three-year-old at home, and every time you're telling them not to, they're losing their mind, like completely losing their mind. They're learning that they have a choice. Seriously, almost every three-year-old will be like, wait a second, I actually don't need to do what you tell me. I have choice. No, huh. take that. You know, two-year-olds, they just fling themselves on the floor because they feel upset. But three-year-olds, it's like they suddenly realize, I don't actually have to do what I'm told. And then you'll find like 12-year-olds kind of do the same thing. And then you'll find like 20-year-olds kind of do the same thing. They, they go through these spaces that we get to lead. And so let's lean into a few. Now, I had slides, but we had some technical issues, so you're just going to have to pretend the slides are there. And there are things in here. Every point that I'm going to make is in this little booklet. And there's questions in there that you can lean in, either with a small group of women or yourself, to kind of bite into it. I have to push through this because we've got like a wee bit of time. So there is, and I am really sorry if you, if you got this one. It's so tiny, you will never be able to read it unless you have superhuman eyes. So if you can read it, wow, look at you. But it is available online. I took it out of the printing eventually because it was just pointless. I was like, these people will never. You can get this online. I put resources at the back of your booklet that you can see all this online. So. Firstly, a time 
frame in a kid's life. This is a phase, okay? A time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. It starts when they're born. Influencing their future starts when they're born. It doesn't start when they're teenagers and know what you're talking about and can reason with you, kind of reason with you. It starts when they're born, okay? So each phase affords you an opportunity. And though it is nuanced from kid to kid, it is almost consistently the same. And when you capture what the phases are, you'll start to be like, oh, I can lead this. I'm not like floundering around in the water like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. You start to know that you can lead it. And here's the thing. You are called to disciple your children. You're not just called to make sure they make it through to adulthood alive, which is dicey at times if anybody has. <laughs> I'm telling you, after daycareing and all the kids that have come through my care, I'm like, how do kids make it to adulthood? They are crazy. You know, they put their fingers in things that can hurt them. They like, you know, they're attracted to danger. But you're called to bring them to adulthood to be able to have a relationship. Point them to Jesus as much as you can. Point them to health. Teach them how to independently pursue God. Whether they choose to do it is actually not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to point them there. You cannot choose for them. You can't. And actually, God taught me that when I was holding those little babies. And he was like, Ingrid, you can't choose this for them. You have to release them to me. Just like I pursued you, I'll pursue them. You just have to point them to me. You just have to say, look to Jesus all the time. When you're walking with your toddlers, look what God made. Look at this beautiful earth. You know? Teach them about forgiveness and sorry and, you know, how God sees them all the time. You know, knows how many hairs are on their head. There's, there's opportunity in every phase to point them to Christ. All right. Firstly, when you see how much time you have, you tend to get serious about the time you have now. Okay? You'll see that in your book. That's the first page of sort of a thing and questions. Now, there's a scripture that goes with it. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom in Psalm 912. How many weeks do you have until your child graduates? I know nobody wants to think about it. Or some people are like, I want to know. I don't know. How many are left? Okay, you can go on an app. Okay, you can go on an app called ParentQ. And it will calculate it for you. I think it's 932 from the time they're born. Okay, just under a thousand. And then if you count your weeks, it actually helps you understand some things. So some different ways you can do this. Some people will put a jar of marbles and every week they'll take a marble out. Just set up something that you're like, oh, I see the time. Or it could be this parent queue app. It'll kind of show you. It's a little freaky. Because you know, as I get, you know, you can see the time go by. But what it does is it kind of encourages you to be intentional. Because when you've got babies, you're like, ah, all the time in the world. Heck, this feels like forever, just today. Today feels like forever. I'm exhausted. You know, but then when you have an 18-year-old, you're like, did I do everything I was supposed to? Do they know how to cook? Can they clean their bedroom? No, they can't. Shoot! We're in big trouble. They can't even clean their bedroom. No. No, actually, though, 
It helps you intentionally invest in them when you see the time. Now, it's not just meant to be disheartening, okay? When you pull it out, sometimes it's like, oh. It's also to help you realize how much the little adds up. Week after week, what you're investing, it adds up. It makes a difference. Think about 932 weeks that you can invest the same message of them mattering to God. The same message of, listen, he's reliable. You can trust him. And if you're not starting at the very beginning, maybe you're starting halfway through or three quarters of the way through, it's fine. Look at the time that you have. Instead of feeling like, I've got no time left, look at the time you do have. And it's not like it ends once they hit, you know, graduating high school. Obviously, your influence just changes there. But, okay, so get serious about the time. Get serious about the time, and every week matters. But you don't have to get it all done in one week. You know, the day they're born, you don't have to make sure they know how to cook, clean, know that Jesus loves them, make sure they can, you know. No, you do it week after week, day after day, bit by bit. You invest in them, okay? All right, secondly, every phase is a time frame, this is what I already told you, in your kid's life to leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Remember, there are unique opportunities in every phase, whether it's hard or easy, whether it's delightful, whether they're ignoring you completely and not talking to you at all, or every time you talk to them, they're scowling at you, or they're hugging you in every second and just, or they're attached to your leg and you're like, I got make dinner you know like whatever phase it is there is opportunity and it's not just opportunity to make them feel good it's opportunity to teach them life skills just catering to their every whim will not help them it won't because when they're adults there is nobody catering to their every whim at least they shouldn't be and they will not know how to manage life if you cater to their every whim discipline is needed Saying no is needed. Time when you're like, I actually can't right now. And the more kids you have, the more you're like, can you like, tie your shoe? I know you're six months old, but you, you got it, right? <laughs> you know, like, but actually. And the independence, there is things that, you know, relying on each other, there's things that they can learn in these spaces that they need to learn. That sometimes we feel like we're failing, but in the end, our lack actually benefits them. Our lack is either helps them to rely on each other or helps them to rely on God. I remember one time God was like, Ingrid, if you were everything they ever needed, why on earth would they ever need me? If I'm everything they ever need, they don't need God. Right? So don't feel like you have to be everything they ever need. You can't. You're a limited human being. But where you can't, he can. And that's the point. You're constantly pointing them to Christ. Constantly pointing them to Christ. Where you miss it, where you can't, you can apologize. You can build that bridge. It's not hopeless. So anyways, there is an opportunity in every phase. If you want to know more about the phases, I don't know if you can read them because they didn't print great. 
But I think they're hilarious to read because I can relate to pretty much every single one there. Those little boxes on the front, they're funny. They're funny. But I can get you a better copy if you want them. Third, when you invest in your kid week after week, you are giving them a relational and emotional history that sets them up for the right kind of future. Okay, so this future that Anita's is talking about, this future of going wherever God asks, impacting nations, it starts with us day by day, marble by marble, investing, you can trust in God. It may seem like the smallest whatever. You feel like you're hardly doing anything for the kingdom of God. But this is the most intensive discipleship possible. You are literally discipling them from the time they are born till who knows when. As long as they're listening to you, you get to disciple them. What a privilege and an honor. What a privilege and an honor to be able to disciple somebody for that much time. Wow, it lifts off this pressure of like, you, you've got to go out and do a million things. No, disciple your children. Do whatever else God asks you, but disciple your children. As you invest intentionally with love, words, stories, fun, work, and intentional relationship that you surround them with, you know, like community, like church community, you know, school community, neighborhood community. You build a platform for them to build their future on as they head into adulthood. These little things are building this platform for them to launch into, that they will go back to over and over and over again. They will go back to this over and over again. It's part of how they will decide who they are going to be, what they're gonna build their life on. So no matter the phase, invest intentionally. Fourth, let me check my time. 241. Oh my gosh, time goes so fast. Okay, fourth, I'm going to go really quick. When you know what you want to be true in your kid's life, it will help you stay focused, prioritized, prioritize your efforts, and maintain perspective, okay? So without a clear destination, you tend to only focus on right now. So you have to remember that you, where you want them to go. You can't just focus on the here and now. You want them to know Jesus in their future. You have to be investing in that marble by marble, okay? I know with your younger kids, it can feel like you just want to make them happy. It can feel like you just don't want them to hate you or with your teenager. But that's not your destination. Your destination isn't they're happy all the time. I know we want them to be happy, but our destination is healthy, reliant disciples of Christ, not happy, happy, happy happy, happy, never screaming, right? Because eventually they won't throw tantrums all the time anymore. And eventually they won't scowl at you every time you talk. But it's going to be a season where you might have to endure that for a while. You really will. So without a clear destination, also fear can tend to control you. Okay? If you don't see where you're going, we're so afraid that we, we won't actually lead them well. Now, when you imagine the end, you begin to see things differently. And when you know what you ultimately want to be true in your kid's life, it will help you stay focused and prioritize your efforts. Okay, five. Okay, I just got two more. Okay, five. If you want to help them have a better future, then help them understand how to love God. All right? So show it to them. 
Do this authentically. Read your Bible. Let them see you read your Bible. Talk about what you've read. Pray. Pray with them. Lay with them in bed at night. Talk about God, even if it's past their bedtime. I know you just want to go. I know you just want to go and just be quiet and just not be touched anymore or something. You know, I know, I know. But listen, it, it, I have done it in my life. It, it gives back. My kids talk to me. They're teenagers. They come and they talk to me. They're like, Mom, come and sit with me. I want to tell you stuff. I didn't tell my mom anything. I was like, Mom, go away. I don't want to tell you anything. That's how I felt. So I'm telling you, lay with them. Ask them how their day is at night before they're going to sleep. Because that's actually when they'll talk to you, not when they get home. They won't talk to you when they get home. They'll be like, fine, you know. But at night, they'll be like, okay, I'm glad to tell you this. And what about God, Mom? Can you, let's talk about God. They want to because it keeps them up. And they're, they're thinking. They're unwinding. So maybe even work it into the time. Give an extra 15 minutes in your bedtime. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Give. Serve. Have your kids serve in church alongside you. It's beautiful. All these things take work, but it's worth it. Six. Last thing. It's when you do the everyday moments of life that, I'm sorry, it's what you do in the everyday moments of life that will make the lasting impression in your kid's heart. Rhythms are important. Yep. Leverage your drive, leverage your breakfast, leverage your dinner. Have family dinners if you possibly can. They're worth it. Leverage bedtimes, bath time. You know, I know a lot of sporting parents, they'll, they'll leverage those drives to tournaments and stuff like that. These are huge opportunities. Take them. Bring up stuff. Let them talk and talk and talk and talk about whatever. Because when they see that you're interested in them, They'll keep talking to you. And so I know I had a lot more to lean into here, but I just want to encourage you, you can do this. And you can have them come out the other side loving Jesus. You can't make that choice for them, and it is not your responsibility. So I want to lift that off you right now. The fear of them not loving Jesus or the fear of them getting into stuff, you can't control all that. But you can do your best to point them to Christ and do it in a loving manner that they stay open to you. I can't guarantee every kid's going to do this. I can't. But I can say that Jesus will lead you. Pray, pray, pray. When you don't know what to do, I don't know how, I, I don't know how to parent. Like, honestly, the Lord knows how to parent and he's taught me how to parent. Sit with him. Let him say, you know what, Johnny? He just needs some grace. Or, or grace? She just needs a firm hand right now. He'll lead and guide you. I promise. So let me just pray over you. God, thank you for each one of these ladies. They are here on purpose to raise their kids on purpose. So God, I just pray a blessing over each one of them. I pray that you would empower and encourage them as they lean in to disciple their children. I thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.